You're listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Welcome to the On the NBA Beat podcast. This is episode 3B, the banter episode. I'm Lauren Lee Chen here with my co hosts, Aaron Fishman and Joshua Jonah Fishman. And our first segment is LLC Incorporated. On Wednesday's show, we were joined by Isaac Lowenkron, Clippers radio host for Fox Sports. Later that night, the Clippers came away with a victory in their first game of the season against the Sacramento Kings. They'll play their second game against the Mavs before this episode is released, but after we record. So for this segment, we'll be focusing on Game 1. The Clippers went with Lance Stevenson as their starter in Game 1 versus their Kings, as predicted in Wednesday's show, and it seemed to work out for them. Aaron, do you think Lance has found his fit again and is ready for a bounce-back season? I think he definitely could be, and it was a good omen that he he nailed his first shot in the opening minute of the game, a three-pointer, but it's way too early to say that that he's completely right. It's going to be a work in progress, jallying with this team, learning his new role. His role in Los Angeles is probably going to be more similar to what it was in Indiana as opposed to what it was in Charlotte. So I think the learning curve will not be as steep for him. And I like how he was playing pretty smart with the basketball. Only scored seven points, but was very efficient. Three of five from the floor and only a single turnover. He looked like the composed Lance, the under control Lance that the Clippers will need. I definitely like the start for him, but if he can keep it up, that'll remain to be seen. Yeah, it's hard to pass judgment after just one game. But Joshua, do you have reason to believe in his continued efficiency? I do, in fact, have reason to believe. Lance Stevenson hit his first two shots, made a lot of great passes, went three for five in the game. But most importantly, he looked really confident out there, like Aaron alluded to. I think he feels good again. He definitely did not feel good in Charlotte last season. He was feeling great as a pacer before. I think he's back to the old Lance Stevenson that was really good. Sticking with the small forwards, as we noted, Lance Stevenson got the start last night. He played 19 minutes. Pierce came off the bench and played 24 minutes while Wes Johnson chipped in with 10. Do you think this is going to be the typical distribution of minutes with Lance starting, but relatively even spread among those three guys throughout the season? Joshua? I think that the three players are probably going to have a, a pretty balanced distribution of minutes. I think it'll definitely vary from game to game, um, with likely Lance Stevenson starting all the time, and probably Wesley Johnson getting the fewest minutes per game. So I I, th- I think that it's it's going to stay pretty consistent, maybe dependent on matchups. Things might be tweaked a little bit here and here or there, but overall, I think we should expect this trend to continue. Aaron, do you think Lance Stevenson fits better primarily alongside other starters, while Pierce fits with the second unit? And what are the 
reasons behind that. Yeah, potentially. I, I think that there'll be a lot of pros and cons um, with regards to which guy goes with which unit. And it's not going to be so cut and dry. And like we talked about, and, and um, you mentioned in your question to Isaac earlier this week, Doc Rivers really doesn't take so much stock into who starts. It's it's who's getting the minutes and who's in the larger rotation and which pieces fit together. One thing I noticed in game one, and this definitely might change going forward, is that Lance Stevenson and Jamal Crawford didn't really play that much together. And Crawford was with lesser offensive players to an extent because more similar to his role last year, he was expected to take a lot of shots and be the significant scoring option on those teams. Stevenson's more of a wild card. He can ramp up the offense if you need him, but he's also he's quick. He's perfectly capable of just being a guy in the corner, spacing the floor, but having uh, but not needing to have the ball. He, he's really um, versatile. He can do a lot of things. So um, kind of like Griffin, sometimes he can be the the point forward. And, and just grab a rebound, bring it up the floor really fast. The thing I really liked to see was that Blake Griffin and Stevenson passed up sh- some shots early in the shot clock that I think maybe earlier in the career they possibly would have taken for better shots later in the shot clock. And it just seemed like a smarter offense. I think Wesley Johnson will be playing the least because... Lance Stevenson's a better defender, in my opinion. Wesley Johnson's the worst offensive player of the three. And then you kind of have Jamal Crawford in the mix, too. Those guys all are kind of shooting guards slash small forwards, in my opinion. So a lot for Doc Rivers to think about. It's a work in progress, and it worked fine the first game. Also, I think Lance Stevenson would have played more than 19 minutes had the Clippers not been playing the front end of a back-to-back. Right, right. A lot's been made of the improved bench this season, but in Game 1, Blake Griffin still played 38 minutes, which isn't a ton, but it's probably more than he'd like to average. Josh Smith, on the other hand, only played 16 minutes. Is that a result of the flow of the game, uh, which ended up being closer than people expected, or Blake Griffin just exploding for 33 points, or something else? Aaron first? That's a good question. So first of all, I think Josh Smith, his 16 minutes are slightly misleading. They were more valuable than one might think because Doc Rivers had the luxury of bringing in Josh Smith when DeAndre Jordan got five fouls early in the fourth in the fourth quarter. Last year, that would have had to have been Spencer Hawes or Glenn Davis, and he wouldn't have been comfortable, and it would have been a huge regression defensively. DeMarcus Cousins would have gone off. He still kind of did. But Josh Smith overall played very well defensively, blocking four shots in 16 minutes. Now, on the offensive side of things, Josh Smith was forcing the action, was out of his element, and was pretty much a liability on offense. But defensively, he was so important in that game. And to address the other part of the question, Blake Griffin did play a little bit more than Rivers would have wanted him to, especially the opening night and front end of a back-to-back. But 38 isn't so bad in a game that they barely ended up winning. Mm-hmm. It, it, it got a little dicey at the end, so they needed every bit of Griffin in this one. But I think going forward, Rivers would like to see Griffin's minutes cut to probably closer to 35. 38 is kind of a lot. 
Right. I agree that um, Josh Smith playing 16 minutes this game doesn't matter so much as long as in the bigger picture he can be relied on as more of a insurance policy if Griffin or DeAndre gets into foul trouble or needs more rest. Joshua, is there anything you want to add to that? I just want to add, um, I agree with both of your sentiments about Blake Griffin ideally playing fewer minutes per game, especially on the front end of back-to-backs. But Chris Paul also played 37 minutes. And because the game was a lot closer than anticipated at the end, they needed him. Ideally, he'll, he'll play fewer than 37 per game also. Um, and Josh Smith, I expect to average more than 16 minutes per. Um, but he was, as Aaron said, he was valuable on defense. His line looks pretty wacky. 1.0 for 2 from the floor, 5 turnovers, 4 personal fouls, 4 blocks, and 6 rebounds. But he was pretty valuable in, in some ways, terrible in others. DeMarcus Cousins had some strong words after the game saying <laughs> about the Clippers, I hate them. Honestly, I do. I hate them. Well, you can add DeMarcus to the long line of people who have stated that they hate the Clippers. Warriors after Doc Rivers' comments this summer. Mavericks after DeAndre's saga. The Lakers, just by being the other team in L.A., Memphis after many hard-fought playoff series. And people even, the Clippers even say that the referees hate them. What is it about the Clippers players or organization that seems to get under everyone's skin, Joshua? They're so competitive. Guys like Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, now Lance Stevenson, um, Paul Pierce. These guys want to win. It's like when, when you're playing Little League baseball or youth soccer or basketball, you play the team that just crushes everyone. They're so good, but they're, they're not very nice sometimes. When they get on the court, they just want to run over you. And I think it's a warranted reputation because the Clippers seem to just want to win at all costs. Jeez, I thought, Lauren, when you were reading that list in, in your question that you were just going to go on forever. It seemed like you were going to list every team in the league. And Might as well be. <laughs> it, it pretty much is like that. And um, DeMarcus also doesn't like a lot of teams or players also. It's been well documented, particularly Chris Paul and DeMarcus Cousins' mutual dislike for each other. But, but yeah, I basically echo what Joshua said. And also another thing... People don't like to get dunked on by Blake Griffin. They right. people. There's also a thing um, about Doc Rivers as a complainer, Chris Paul as well, that he's in the referee's ears. And so with the continued success and, and continued high expectations for the Clippers, not only will they continue to be hated, but the hate will be ramped up to another level this season. So get ready. Well, I just want to add oh, yes. uh, quickly. Um, that the Clippers led the league in technical fouls last season. And I do not believe that that was because the referees had it out for the Clippers. I think the Clippers deserved many, um, if not most, of those technical calls. Matt Barnes is gone, but... Stevenson and Josh Smith, they'll, they'll surely lower the technical count. No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not sure if, if Matt Barnes leaving the Clippers helps their reputation, maybe slightly. But now Barnes hates Doc Rivers, and he's telling everyone, 
uh, Doc Rivers is such a bad guy. So It's a vicious cycle of NBA fighting that continues into this season. Well, you know they also say when you have haters, that's no, that's how you know you've really made it. So it's time for some small sample size. After game one, <laughs> I want to hear your, your reaction for both of you. Is this the best Clippers team you've seen in your life, Aaron? I'm going to say yes. I just want to shout out some of the teams of the past, the one with Nick Young and Eric Bledsoe and Chauncey Billups and um, Dan- sell on Darren that? Collison. No, that, that was after Cassell. And, um, and they had Kenyon Martin and some tough guys off the bench, Reggie Evans, I believe. But that team wasn't bad. They had a lot of depth on the bench, a lot of fast guys. They had that exciting comeback in Memphis that, uh, that kept them alive in that series. And they ended up winning that series before getting swept by the Spurs. But this team, yes, to answer your question, it's the best of um, of my lifetime. And it's not only just the immense depth that they have that's a huge upgrade from last season. It's also the considerable strides that Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, to a lesser extent, have made. Chris Paul's his same self from three years ago. J.J. Reddick's getting a little bit better with age, but... Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, wow, they are so much better. Add that on to to just the crazy depth that they have, and it's surely the best team that we've seen. Joshua? I definitely agree that this is the best Clippers team in my lifetime and in franchise history. This team is just stacked, and to add to that, they're better coached than than they've ever been, in my opinion. Segment two of episode 3B, this is the J-Squad. I want to talk about some more small sample size overreactions. It's just so fun for me after one or two games just to, to hear how good, how bad, how shocking things are because it doesn't really matter yet, but let's just do it anyway. It's fine. Let's go to Lauren first. Any shocking upsets or things that really surprised you so far? I have two words. Detroit basketball. The Pistons are 2-0 and right now after beating the Jazz Wednesday and the Hawks Tuesday. Those are two potential playoff teams on a lot of people's lists. It's interesting how Stan Van Gundy has assembled players on this team. It looks a lot like those old Magic teams that were centered around Dwight Howard at center and then had four shooters around him. Andre Drummond isn't exactly the same type of offensive player that 2009 Dwight was, but that 2009 Magic team made it to the NBA Finals, and I think this Detroit Pistons team could make it to the playoffs. I That's thought you were going to say Finals. <laughs> not the Finals. I think hot they takes. could ride it into the playoffs. That's they're 2-0. Take. I don't know. They're 2-0. I could see 82-0. It's going to be tough, but it's possible. If anyone can do it, it's the team that's 2-0. The notorious SVG. Aaron, what do you think? Lots of surprising things. 
One, the Memphis Grizzlies, who have loads and loads of continuity. Matt Barnes, they they did add, but basically everyone's back. In their starting lineup, it's the same five. And they just got roasted by the Cleveland Cavaliers on their home court in Memphis. They ended up losing by 30. And that was the second consecutive night for the Cavaliers playing. It really wasn't one single Cleveland player that helped blow, that um, contributed to the blowout. They just had a very balanced attack, and Memphis just couldn't defend, and they couldn't score. We're not really necessarily surprised that they didn't score that much, but um, they're known for being a great defense, and they didn't defend on opening night for them. Another thing that was surprising, Derek Williams and Sasha, Sasha Vujicic played very well. Sasha Vujicic? He, he only scored 11 points, but... Six rebounds, three assists, four steals, no turnovers, all world. He was efficient shooting. Someone too. oiled that machine. Yeah, someone oiled that machine because it was clicking on all cylinders. And then the last thing I want to say, Ricky Rubio, he brought his jump shot Wednesday night. Boy, was that the difference in the Laker game. Also, Kobe Bryant going three of 13 from three point, which isn't going to fly in Laker land going forward. He'll have to be more efficient, but Rubio... I don't know. He's eating his Wheaties, I guess. I want to jump in here for a second about Ricky Rubio. On the Lakers postgame show, James Worthy was talking about how anyone off the street could just come in against this the Lakers defense last night and score 27, 28, whatever. What did R- Ricky score? 28 points. 28 points. But there's no way. That's an NBA team. Ricky Rubio was just great. I wonder if he's going to keep up this offensive performance all season. Probably not, but I think Andrew Wiggins and some of those guys, Zach Levine, will will play better offensively, and Rubio will be relied upon more as a distributor. Yeah, Probably. also, though, Ricky Rubio's jump shot looked really good last night, and he was confident shooting it, which couldn't be said earlier on in his career. His jump shot used to be a liability. Yeah, that's definitely true. I was curious... Did you want to talk about the Rockets a little bit, Lauren? Because I know they got blown out. I was certainly... He probably doesn't want to talk about them. (laughs) I don't really want to talk about it, but I will. We saw Houston lose to Denver by 20. Houston has been touted by me as one of the top teams in the West. And in our previous show, Joshua was saying that Denver is actually one of the worst teams in the NBA. So this was definitely surprising for me. Shots fired. They showed us. We saw Ty Lawson and James Harden both struggle shooting, combining for 9 of 31 shooting, as well as uh, Trevor Ariza and Corey Brewer both struggled immensely offensively. I think it speaks to the idea that we see these player additions and expect them to be able to be integrated into the system immediately and A lot of the time, people expect good teams to bring in new players and have them have an immediate effect on the system. This offseason, after the Ty Lawson signing, people were saying that Houston was going to be one of the best, if not the best, offense in the NBA. But sometimes it takes some time to integrate those guys. Yeah, I want to add something about Emmanuel Moutier. He showed the Kings and James Ham, kind of. He scored 17 points and had nine assists, but he also committed 11 turnovers. I mean, it's kind of what James said, that um, he's going to put up big stat lines 
something Willie Cauley-Stein probably won't do with his predicted six points per game. That's what James Tam predicted, and probably is about right. But 11 turnovers, that would be horrible for the Kings. Can you imagine? Cousins is already prone to turnovers. You have two ball dominators um, with Rudy Gay and DeMarcus Cousins. You don't need a guy like Emmanuel Moutier who's turning the ball over 11 times. He almost got a triple-double, for God's sake, but not the good kind. I'm actually not too worried about the 11 turnovers for Moutier. It shows that he's taking risks, and you see a lot of the passes he's making. He's hitting people in stride, and and some of those turnovers, at least, are just from the receivers of his passes, just not ready or expecting a pass, and it just goes off of their hands. Well, Lauren, kudos to you for actually watching the game, actually watching the highlights. I did not know that. He's a Rockets fan. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It makes sense. He did his homework. It was his, his duty to watch the game. I, I'm, I mean, I'm not too worried about Moutier. I just kind of wanted to make fun of him, throw yeah. a little shade in his direction. You don't see 11 turnovers every day, but he's young. And that's a young team. So, I mean, if he can let it fly, it'll surely be entertaining. They're not going to go 82-0, and but... They could go close. At the same time, it also speaks to the amount of trust that Mike Malone has in his young team to keep Moutier on the floor the entire time while he's throwing 11 turnovers. It's allowing him the room to grow and the ability to make mistakes, which ultimately, hopefully, will be good for his career. Yeah, and that's another thing, just briefly. Mike Malone, congratulations to him on his first W. Hopefully management will give him the patience to build something great here in Denver. He didn't get the patience that he deserved in Sacramento. Speaking of uh, rookie turnovers, I just want to say Jaleel Okafor probably has the worst assist-to-turnover ratio so far. Um, Small sample size overreaction. He has eight turnovers and one assist. He did score 26 points, so we'll leave him alone. He's a rookie. And that wraps up episode 3B of the On the NBA Beat podcast. Thanks for listening. And please join us next week when we have Sean Hyken of Bleacher Report, who will discuss the Chicago Bulls.